But you don't know me. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to You Don't Know Me, a podcast about people you don't know. Today we have a very special recording for you. Uh, we have two guests on today's show, the beloved Medusa. Hello. And we also have the wizard joining us today. Hello there. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite nerd um, D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, for those of you who don't know. And the wizard is going to be regaling us with plenty of tales. Did I just mispronounce that? It's regaling. Regaling. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're not going to judge you. <laughs> I might. Out loud. So the wizard is going to be regaling us with tales of his D&D adventures. Well, I guess to start. Um, so growing up, I was really into text-heavy games. So I played, I mean, like, obviously for video games, I played like stuff like the typical, you know, Mario, Duck Hunt, etc. But like, I really started getting into role-playing games like Final Fantasy and Pokemon at a young age. So I was always really fascinated by taking in like these different worlds and getting to experience something that was more story-driven. Um, sort of from there, though, around middle school, I stumbled across D&D through a handful of mutual friends. So occasionally on Fridays, we'd all get together, um, pull up some couches and a table, get like a big old bag of dice and whatever miniatures we could find. And we'd have our a friend of ours basically set us off on an adventure every given week. And you said um, sort of what led you into it were JRPGs, though. Oddly enough, yeah, it's sort of strange that JRPGs ended up being sort of a major thing, which influenced my interest in a Western RPG. Although, so, oh, yeah. JRPGs, what's the J? Japanese. Japanese. Oh, Japanese role-playing games. Okay. Although, it, I guess when you want to really look at it that way, though, like the earliest, or like the, I guess, quintessential JRPG of Dragon Quest was inspired by Ultima, which was inspired by D&D. So it all comes back full circle. <laughs> so it's all, what came first? D&D just uh, RPGs get a little incestuous in a way, but... Boy, that is putting it's it It's okay, because... You know, they're just frameworks for everybody to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit and explain to me kind of how D&D really just works. Like, give me like a short two-sentence overview here. So basically, Dungeons and Dragons is a, typically it's a fantasy role-playing setting where you have one person who acts as the game master or dungeon master, as it were, who is the person that guides the story along and sets up the adventures. And then you have your group of players. Typically, like, an average group of players would fall between, like, three to five-ish people, depending on the size of the adventure you want to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it would you can either do, like, one-shot scenarios where maybe you're just a group of random adventurers traveling through a dungeon trying to get treasure. Or maybe, like, the game master has an actual bigger sort of world he's created and wants to have you explore a bigger adventure. Like, so you go on a, this major quest to save the world from some horrendous evil or maybe to discover some ungrateful power off, you know, far off land. But essentially, most of the players are the protagonists, Okay. while the dungeon master or whatever keyword they like to use in whatever tabletop system you're using, they are literally everything else. They're the monsters, they're the world, they're, you know, the scared townspeople, they're whatever. Everything in the setting that's not the heroes. That's a really big job. Yes. It definitely is. As someone so who is definitely, like done uh both player and dm i can definitely say being a dm is a hard job because you will sit there and like plan out for hours 
like scenarios and adventures and like have a good idea of like what you think your players are going to do. And then they'll spend the entire damn time like arguing over shopping or like really basic bullshit. It's like, okay, I'm going to have them go into this like forest and start searching out for this like ancient druid encampment. But what actually happens is they spend two hours around like the uh, the seaside town there and like just fucking around messing with the villagers. I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm glad I spent. And they can totally just be complete dipshits and just go completely off the rails as well. Yep. So there's a lot of improvisation that's involved with that kind of role, which is a bit of a double-edged sword because it leads to some very interesting things, but also a lot of headaches here and there. Yeah. Okay, so you've been on both sides of it then. Oh yeah. Oh man. So you said that you have to put hours into I mean like that's an insane It depends it depends imagine. on how thorough you want to get with it. Like I love the world building aspect of it. So mm-hmm. I take a lot of time to like craft out like whole mythologies for the worlds that I build. Um and like that makes sense it, yeah. being a writer and all. Yeah, that'll take it some sweet time right there. But then you actually have to craft out like okay, so what can I feasibly do for a 2 to 3 hour like campaign situation or like a game session? And what can I expect my players to accomplish? And there's also a lot of design work involved in it because you have to create the areas that they're going to be in. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends, and I do this to a certain extent too, will actually create full-on maps and we'll find different ways to generate them either. Like, you can do really basic, like, just get, like, a dry erase mat or something and, like, just grid that out and use that to do all your mapping and stuff. Or if you're, like, another friend of mine, you will actually use online programs where you can craft full like really nice detailed maps with like little in-game miniatures and stuff and move that around or just design whole dungeons that way too wow so it, dep- and it depends can on you how detailed use you want that to same world say you build like a world that's really elaborate can you use it again absolutely um that's actually what wizards of the coast the people that are responsible for a lot of like the major D campaigns do um they have like specific settings they'll reuse for different campaigns like uh Trying to remember, Medusa, help me name it. I know, like, there's Faerun, Eberron. I, I can only think of Planescape, actually. Oh. Well, basically, you have a whole bunch of, like, options, and, like, each one of these different campaigns have, like, smaller settings within them. So, like, an adventure could literally mm-hmm. not use up an entire world, but only, like, take place in, like, maybe a small region of it instead. And there's also, like, settings for everything that there's not just your traditional fantasy stuff, that there's modern settings there's post-apocalyptic ones sci-fi basically any genre that's been touched on by media has something for it gotcha yeah dnd is sort of the standard like swords and sorcery fantasy one um gamma world is an older one which i think it actually has some newer editions too but that one is more like it's got some weird stuff in there it's cool that's a fun one too i did a second edition version of that one but um it basically is like the post-apocalyptic one. Um, Shadowrun is sort of like a um, cyberpunk setting for um, all of that. And I'm sure there's like a million more I'm forgetting. But like those are the big three that I know off the top of my head. My favorite is this like Swedish post-apocalyptic one that takes place in America. It's called Niroshima. And like, it's just bonkers. Apparently where we are is just this horrible kill or be killed roman style hegemony it's crazy that's awesome and that's a map that you found or it's an um one of the board games i play is like in the same setting (laughs) got it got it one of the things i actually really liked about the gamma world session i had done with um a few other friends is our dm for that one or gm i guess in that case basically just had us like roll a bunch of dice to determine like um prerequisite stats and abilities so like 
you could make your character, but you would roll for certain mutations. And depending on what you rolled, you'd get like specific power sets. So like one of my friends ended up being this plant like um, mutant with the ability to absorb light and like basically live off of photosynthesis for a while. The drawback being he was exceptionally weak to fire. Whereas my character was a sentient owl who had the ability to generate electricity all over his body. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and I've just seen a lot of, because when I think of D&D, &D, I, I think of like elves and like that's, I didn't realize that it was that diverse that you could do so many different types of, you know, characters and things like that. Are there normal classes that you try to stay in? I mean, what are the actual rules of D&D? &D? Like what's consistent across the board? So the rules will vary slightly depending on editions since this game has been around for many, many years now. They've gone through multiple editions. Um, for a lot of... Started in the 80s, I think right? it's early 80s, like 82 or 83. Don't quote me on that, but... Is this an actual board they're... game too? Like, is it like something that you buy? So it's not so much that it's a board game you buy, but there are like books and compendiums and like actual pieces you can buy. Like there's miniatures you can buy of monsters okay. or character types. Um, you can buy like pre-made maps and use those. But the main things you would buy, so to speak, would just be like the different manuals and guides, which are these like humongous 200 page or like more volumes, which just describe campaign settings, classes, and like all the mechanics. Like the big thing that turns most people off of D&D is that it seems like it's a whole lot of work even just to learn how to play it. Like, the act of making a character in certain editions of this game you, basically looks like a, a giant algebra sheet for the amount of stuff you have to do on it. Um, but thankfully, newer editions have actually simplified that a lot more, where, like, character creation is a lot smoother and easier to do for, like, newcomers. But there's still enough complexity where, like, veteran players can still know how to, like, do interesting things when they're making their characters. But, um... Oh. The, f the first, like... One I played proper was the fourth edition, and I'm, as everybody knows, completely illiterate when it comes to numbers. I was still able to crack out a cool character, like, in a snap. It was nothing. Yeah, my, my bread and butter for the longest time was third edition. Um, and then, like, so all the expansions to third edition, which is called 3.5. Um, but, like, I've played through all of that. I've gone back and played older editions, like second edition, and... I played 4th edition with Medusa for several campaigns, and a few other campaigns I played also used 4th, but I've been doing more with the more, most recent one, 5th edition, and I really like its setup, honestly. I think it's easier for newcomers to get into, and a lot of the mechanics are done in a way which I think make things go much smoother. Because one of the bigger downsides mm -hmm. to um, a lot of the older editions is simple stuff like, I don't know, being in a bar and talking to NPCs, or just like basic character interaction, like that's not too long, but combat will take you like hours sometimes <laughs> and so like bear in mind a character turn is like only a few seconds technically but a battle that in game would last like maybe i don't know five ten minutes could take you literally like two or so hours sometimes depending on like how detailed or like how complex things get and okay so i'm not really tracking that like, why? Why does it take so long? Well, it's because you have to go through turn orders. Like, you have to go, like, each person has a turn, and, like, their actions equate to, like, roughly, I think it's six seconds, depending on the version. Um, oh. So, like, each person will have to go through, like, decide their moves, like, where they're going to move, what they're going to do, how they're going to interact with either their fellow players or an enemy, or how they're going to interact with the environment. So, like, that whole process, like, especially if you've got, like, a character that's maybe, say, like, a spellcaster, so they have, like, a whole bunch of spells they, like, would have to know. They don't know them off the top of their head. They may have to, like, look at a cheat sheet they've got on the side, which, like, describes the spell, or they may have to take time really deciding their actions. And depending on your DM, like, 
some DMs will be really strict and they'll like want you to make sure you you know you know what you're going to do exactly the moment when your turn comes up. So it like it keeps the flow of the game going. But others are like you know mm-hmm. they'll they'll let you take more time and kind of like think through your actions carefully. Sometimes like it could just Got become it. A, like a matter of like the group sits there and strategizes like so okay what's our best course of action here to like get through this whole situation so we can win this battle and like not lose a lot of our people in the process. Or it could be like again a scenario where you're. Um, DM is like, okay, you can't talk to each other and meet like outside of the game. You have to do everything in the context of being in game. It's so, like you sitting here saying like, I think you should use fireball. Like you can't do that. You would have to like literally shout it to them like as if your character was saying it to them. That sort of thing. Just to kind of keep the <laughs> sense of like again not being able to, I guess fourth wall it so much. Like sit back there basically yeah. and um, give ideas or instructions, but it forces you to like stay in character for that. Um. There's a reason that I like playing characters where she just, like, punches a guy, because it's a lot simpler for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I guess to go back to a, an earlier question you asked about, like, the sort of standard classes, you have, like, pretty basic class archetypes um, that sort of fit the, the traditional fantasy roles. You have stuff like fighters or paladins who are typically, like, you know, punch stuff or hit them with axes and swords. You have, like, barbarians who... So Medusa. Yeah. They're your big yeah. old knights. <laughs> Um, barbarians who, like, rely on doing stuff like Berserker Rages to, like, dish out big damage, but, like, make themselves more susceptible to, like, other kinds of attacks. You have ranged characters like archers or, um, rogues who can, like, you sneak around and, like, in addition to just, like, doing stuff in battle, or, like, you know, I guess they would use knives to stab people or, like, hit people at a distance with a crossbow. They have, like, utility where they can search for traps, that sort of thing. And you have, like, a whole slew of, like, spellcasting classes. You have wizards, sorcerers, warlocks. And they all do different types. Like, the way all of them function is different from one another. Like, they may share some of the same spells, but the way they use them is a little different here and there. Like, you've got your Harry Potters, you've got your Chris Angels, yeah. you've got your spooky witch in the woods, you've got, like, essentially an archetype for everything. If you can think it, you can build it. See, that's, like, overwhelming. Because I, I think about that and it just, I, I think I like things that are simplified for me. I get um, overwhelmed with too many options. I see that is one of the nice things. Like a lot of people will think that's kind of overwhelming, just the amount of choice they have to work with. But a lot of times when you're like playing with a small group, you'll start seeing how other people create their characters and what your standard party looks like. And from there, you can kind of narrow down your options. So like it might be, well, one person's already our paladin. So we kind of have like the defensive person in the group. We got a fighter who can get up in people's faces and punch them. We have like a wizard who can stand in the back and like fling fireballs at people and we have a healer. So what are we missing? So it could be like, okay, we need some like utility. So like mid, yeah, we need like a rogue so we can like attack people from behind or get some ranged attacks or like have someone who can disable traps and dungeons or pick locks if we need to get into somewhere. And I definitely feel the sentiment that you have. So what I actually do whenever I'm in a situation where I have to create a character for a tabletop game. Is that I found a bunch of charts where you just roll a dice and it determines events that happened in your character's life, and then I just like fill in the blanks. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's cool, and it gives me a little bit of an opportunity to like really go far out of my way and do something that I normally wouldn't just think this is the cool guy, it, you know? Yeah. That's the yeah. other nice thing is like there are sort of like pre-made elements like that you can use to sort of like build out a, a story just based on those pre-made elements rather than constantly relying on the same stuff you would always do. Like, I know some people that I've played with will rely on using, like, basically the exact same character for everything. I will talk about one person who does that in particular momentarily. But um, 
<laughs> like their entire D and D or like role playing career will literally just be. I'm going to play the same character in a different setting with like maybe some light modifications here and there. Um, yeah. Just, and you can even go as far as to get like actually pre-made adventures so that somebody doesn't necessarily have to plot out everything. Somebody professional has already done that for them. Like I remember there was this one about like your group comes across a spooky circus and you gotta like figure out what the mystery is behind it and surprise it's fairies. <laughs> this is it's actually way cooler than I thought it was. I mean I've heard a lot about D D, but really just kinda of more in the abstract sense, never like specific stories and stuff. So I'm actually really excited to hear, you know, uh, really kind of your trajectory with it as well. So speaking directly to the wizard Tell me about your first time that you played D&D. Do you yes. remember that? Um, so the first time I ever played D&D was back in middle school. Um, my first character, like this, I, I really knew nothing about the, the concepts of D&D going on. I was just sort of like given some books to read over. And um, what we ended up doing, I think, for my very first character is we had like a little template, which was sort of a character generator program. And we used that and ended up being this um, really tall, like half-orc barbarian. And... I spent most of my time just beating the shit out of people with a club or um, <laughs> like just biting them at random times because like it, it was just a pretty simple character. Like he wasn't terribly smart. He was not like eloquent at all in speech. So like I even had to get used to like the way I interacted with like NPCs and stuff. Like I couldn't try to talk like I normally would. Like my character was a moron. So I basically had to act like that. Like my character was a complete socially awkward and like inept person who couldn't really do anything on his own besides beat the shit out of people. So... That was a fun experience in and of itself. And, like, some of my other friends that were playing with me at the time, some of them did, like, just really straight-up um, goofy-ass cliched characters. Like, one friend did this um, drow wizard, which may as well have been, like, the umpteenth, like, copy of a popular character from an R.A. Salvatore novel. Um, another mm -hmm. How edgy was he on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, he would cut himself on his own reflection. That's how edgy he was. Uh, another one, like, basically had a a paladin version of King Arthur, literally just named Sir Arthur. Um, cool. So, like, early Fair ones enough. were just, like, basically we would all take pretty common fantasy tropes we, like, knew of or thought of and, like, base characters off that. Um, as we progressed, so we started making more original characters here and there. And we started finding, like, certain characters we will go back and reuse every now and then. Um one friend had this wizard named Tulin. Um, I think the last name was Darkarian because just really shitty last name that he would reuse constantly in D&D &D <laughs> scenarios. And um, I'm trying to think. There was another one that um, one of my roommates used constantly who was this like really chipper and like excited um, like elven cleric he would bring in constantly. And, like he made a point to always know she had this really annoying laugh and it always annoyed like every character that I had. So he'd like actually make the, the really goofy ass laugh every time to him, like, stop that, please, you're killing me. Um <laughs> Okay, so were your friends fairly new to it or had they you know, a few a of them before? actually had played a few a little bit before, and then others were all pretty new to it. I actually ended up meeting my best friend um through uh playing D D like that, which was kinda cool. And a lot of my friends I had known since I was like um five or six had also uh, started playing around the same time I did. So it was, it was a fun experience to see, like, meeting new people and also having people I'd known for a pretty good chunk of my life at that point actually, like, go in and, like, experience this game together from the beginning. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, what about you, Medusa? Tell me a little bit about your first experience. 
Oh, wow. Um, that my first real tabletop experience, at least when it comes to role-playing games, was pretty much a mess. That <laughs> We played with a pretty loose system um, with some people that we've definitely had on here before. Oh, really? Yeah, our good friend Andy, and um, of course the great and powerful were part of this group, so naturally nothing got done. <laughs> <laughs> they just shit talk the entire time. That's exactly yeah. It was it was atrocious, and um, we had Tim was the one leading the game, and that um, he just got so immensely frustrated by everyone involved that it just dropped pretty much instantly. My character was pretty cool. Um, that it was a really loose system, so it got to be whatever I wanted. So my character was a brain in a jar that was carried around by like a lobotomized Igor type character. That's awesome. Yeah. Um and that I was low key gonna use the party to construct a doomsday device. <laughs> so like I was every I was definitely gonna play the <laughs> mad scientist archetype. That's that's really cool. So, what was the setting for that? I mean, were they all similar kind of sci-fi esque characters, or no, no, um, it was fantasy. So, um, I just went a little weird with it. In true form, in true form. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's that a lot of cliches tend to get rolled into these, and that I'm, I've always been a huge fan of creepy undead monsters. So naturally, I wanted to do one but still you know get some intelligence in there so what better way to do it than you know get a f horrible 50s si or horror monster in the form of a brain in a jar <laughs> that's a fantastic idea so um obviously we talked a little bit about kind of where you guys started off which i imagine after this i'm probably going to be interesting interested enough that i want to try it myself so i was curious about you guys' first experience but Tell me about some of, you know, the more interesting encounters that you've had or, you know, your favorite. Okay. So I think a good one to talk about would be the um, the fourth edition campaign we did for a while there, Medusa, because there are some fun moments in that. So um, it's the thing is, like, we had our shit together. Well, though, almost so all it of was had like... shit together. There is one key member of the party who routinely never has his shit together. Um, oh. we'll, we'll discuss him momentarily. Uh <laughs> So, cool. do we have a nickname for him, or is he? I'm going to come up with you? something good for him. Um, we want to go with the tall one. Then, actually, yeah, let's go with the tall one. That works. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's funnier. So, getting back on track then. So, in the setting we had, um, one of my good friends did a D and D campaign based on um, the Quest for Glory series, which is this old point and click adventure game um, series he really liked a lot. So, he basically took the first game made some modifications here and there and did a whole D and D campaign based on that. Um, but rather than playing like the, the main character from that game, we all basically had to pick our own characters. So I had a, um, a half elf rogue that I was playing for that one. And I spent most of my time just being like super sneaky and like picking locks or being like the, the party face, like the person oddly enough who would end up being like the main talker in most situations. Um, both of our characters were purely yeah, in it for much. the paycheck. So we were professionals. We also had a halfling who had a penchant for drinking a whole lot and causing as much trouble as humanly possible. So one of his first things he did when we got to like a first major town was going to a tavern and getting drunk off the house ale and then 
basically just be- being sloshed for like an entire um, portion of like that particular uh, bit of the campaign. And he. Fun fact, he's currently <laughs> my manager. He also was, uh, he's also like new to the game at that point. So he had a lot of fun with it too. Like he really enjoyed it. Like we did some goofy stuff. At one point, I think your character fastball specialed him. Like literally, he was so he was so small. Yes, that you, we like, did that. Picked him up and hurled him at another group of enemies at one point. Um, my character was a large circus strong woman, and <laughs> instead of um, any you know fantasy weapons, she had a big old metal glove and then brass knuckles on the other hand. In combat, she was just like suplexing goblins, punching people. You were, it was you so were the cool. best Hokuto character that never existed. <laughs> She's just a total mismatch for the setting, but was just so and cool. Then it was okay. Our last character. Well, we had our our DM actually also had like an NPC character he played to sort of act as a guide slash also the tank because none of us actually played a more defensive class because we were just not thinking that party composition through too well. Medusa just wanted to. Mm-hmm. He wasn't intended to like stick around either. Yeah, we just the loved amazing him so Gorda, much. who is this awesome half orc paladin who just palled around with us the entire time, like became our best bud. Um, like no matter no matter what like positive thing happened, we'd always attribute it to Gordo being so amazing, even if it was somebody else that did it. <laughs> and uh, and then last and most certainly least, the tall one's character. Um, <laughs> oh, no. he, he was a mage in this one, right? <laughs> Yes, and it's very important to know that at this point he had a gigantic boner for yes. Elsa from Frozen. So oh he had, and he still has this weird thing where, like, no matter when he makes a character, that like he'll theme it around ice theme stuff a lot for some reason. God only knows why. But um, yeah. So like, he was an ice wizard basically, which thematically that's kind of cool until you come to a point where you need something other than ice. Case in point. So we had gone through, um the lower part of a dungeon and we'd come across a troll. So we killed it. Not too much trouble, but then it dawned on me from years of experience with D and D trolls have regeneration. And if you don't kill them with acid or fire, they'll regenerate and get back up on their feet. None of us had that on the like right off our like, like available list of options. Like I wasn't carrying a torch at the time and no one had like, you know, acid as a spell. So I, we looked to the wizard as like, um, Hey, can you like set this guy on fire? Or, like use acid splash. Or, like I've only got ice spells. I'm like, you came very ill prepared for this. And like the moment we realized the mistake, the uh, the troll got back up and started beating the dog shit out of my character. Like I was literally within an inch of my life. And like this is why you pick better spell composition so you don't lose the rogue. <laughs> yes. Luckily, we had Gordo. And uh, I think he just out. used. A t- I think he just used a torch <laughs> to set him on fire. So wait, was Gordo an actual? Sorry. Was Gordo an actual character, or was this just it, like it was an it was an NPC character that was like, being controlled by the game master at the time? But he ended up just becoming a, like a normal party member at that point. Um, what does oh, NPC sorry, stand non- for? I'm getting the gist of it, but um, yeah. non basically it would be like your villagers oh, okay. or like any character that's not controlled by one of the main people playing Makes villains, sense. monsters, anything. And in this case, an extra hero. Another fun <laughs> example on that same thing with our favorite ice wizard. Um, we were getting near the end of the campaign and we had successfully um, pulled out this ambush around a, a, like a base where there was a group of thieves hanging out only to uh, not realize that we had put our caster in a pretty bad location. He was up on like a cliffside by himself 
And as everything had just sort of blown over, all of a sudden, we, um, our DM looks at him and is like, I need you to make a save for, like, a reflex save. So he, like, he had to roll a dice, and, like, if he didn't get a certain number, something bad was about to happen to him. So we were all looking at Shock, like, what happened? Everyone's dead. And then it turns out the bandit leader had snuck up behind our caster and stabbed him in the back and then proceeded to punt him off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of felt bad, but then it's like, you've been kind of useless this whole time, so no real difference if you're dead or alive. Eh. But yeah, occasionally you do get like Uh-oh. problems like that where someone who plays you know regularly will just basically play the same sort of character. Like that guy will always play some frost theme thing, whether it's a caster or an archer or some stupid frozen slash League of Legends esque bullshit. Um <laughs> Jesus. I guess I don't have like a specific one I always stick to. Like I play rogues and like spellcaster characters pretty often, but I switch things up every now and then. I don't like play the exact same character every time. However, you can also have people who will switch up their characters, like give them different names and everything or change up what they do a bit, but have certain things Mm -hmm. they always want to explore every time with that character. Uh, Case in point, our good friend, the blonde one, let's just call her Blondie. Um, She was very new to the role-playing experience. Like when, we introduced this to her. She had not really had any kind of like prior experience or really knew what anything was on it. So every character she made for some reason, no matter if it was like an archer or I don't know, like in um, a not gamma roll, lost my turn of thought. The a shadow run, she had a shadow run campaign. Shadow she run? was basically like a um, a very high, yeah, she was a madam basically a madam. on that one. Um, but no matter what she played, she always had to be a hooker in some way, shape, or form. Like, I don't know <laughs> if this was her trying to live out some deep fantasy where she just wanted to fuck everything, but I kid you not, everything worked in a hooker, like, backstory, or like... She was a pretty repressed individual, so this, it may actually be that's what the case is. Because no in retrospect, like, honestly, a lot of my character choices are pretty pretty reflective on the type of person I'm becoming. Fair <laughs> yep. A lot of lesbians. But yeah, she, um, it could be like a thing where we're talking to someone, like trying to, uh, convince them to give us information and her solution would always be like, I'll sleep with you. Like, it's, it's not really the time. This, this guy clearly is hostile <laughs> towards us and I don't think he's just going to give us information if you decide to let him pork you. Like, that's, that's, there's a time and a place for this and now is not that time. And like in most other non-talky situations, she would just kind of like half-ass the actual combat aspect of it. So it's like, I'll just shoot it with an arrow, or I'll pull out my gun and shoot it in the face. I'm like, okay. But again, anytime like the role-playing aspect came up, she was like all about, you know, doing, but basically get into hooker mode. Real anxious to throw those seduction dice out. That's fun, though. I can identify. And that's sort of the other interesting. Like yeah. some people, like I guess, depending on their playstyles, will either be really into the mechanical aspect of it, like the actual combat stuff, or some people are really into the roleplay aspect. And then you get the uh, that that happy golden medium of someone who's really good at both. I'm honestly more about making you the also characters roleplay than anything. Really fantastically, Lily. you've had okay. some great ones. I did a uh, I did love your character in that fourth edition campaign, though. You had that whole little romance going on with the centaur. She was the shit. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. Um, <laughs> None of this exists, and it's wigging me out so much because you guys talk about she, it. Um, what she do was that there was an 
apple merchant in town, and like every time we came back, she was just all about buying up some apples. Got it. Understood. And that it, we sort of came to an assumption that she just has a crush on the apple lady. Perfect. Now, what what is boggling my mind the most as somebody who has never played this game is how you guys talk about it. It's um very much like a, a video game that you've played in person or like something that you've experienced or like a book. Like it's very elaborate and you guys talk about it very intimately. It's it's interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like a shared artistic That's a good way to put experience. It. Like, I always like to think of it as in a lot of ways like a collaborative writing experience. Like you're all like working together to craft a story, so you all get oh. kind of invested not only in your own character but in everyone else's characters too. Um, and like again, like these are people you've like gone through different adventures with. Like you know, you've role played at scenarios where you've either fought through like dungeons or like maybe you've managed to find some like great hidden treasure or like maybe it's just even exploring or like the going on the adventure itself maybe more than it is just the the end goal there. But you you kind of build up an actual sense of camaraderie, like not just in game, but like it's a it is interesting to see how it just sort of bolsters friendships in general. Like you both feel like the impact of the successes or even the failures that like one of your like party members has. Interesting. That's very cool. You wouldn't think of it that way. And I think a lot of people think it's just another video game or it's just another game like that. It's kind of the outside perspective of it. But I like the way you put that, that it's a shared almost writing experience. Where you guys are There's actually something. a whole lot about this and Stranger Things, which still is pretty watched popular. It. Go through it, but oh, it, it's super good. It. It's like, real I, good. Just yeah, set aside some time to watch that. It's gonna throw that plug in there. I think, I think my problem is that anything that my brother likes, I'm not allowed to. I just I have to be contrary <laughs> to him. <laughs> he has really great taste in television, so I've been oh, watching no. a lot of HGTV lately. <laughs> I Honestly, yeah, that is a show that is definitely up his alley because it's it's a really big send up to. 80s genre movies yeah, it's, it's like an interesting mashup of like yeah. the goonies and a, like maybe some early john carpenter stuff right down to the music he's gonna win this round i'm gonna have to it's watch super it. good it's really fun anyways getting back to kind of the subject at hand here so one of i know that you guys have some other particularly fun stories that you you sure kind of come back to a lot, um right? another really good example I think some other good campaigns we've done between the two of us here. Um, campaigns, that's the word. Okay. For the most part, um, we haven't really been involved in too much together. The only other one we have was oh, definitely yeah. not a good the, one. Um, it was the Call of Cthulhu <laughs> one that was a complete shit show. Oh my god. This is great. I Okay, so we've talked about a lot of positive experiences. Let's get into the bad ones now. Okay, um, just for a little background, um, how much do you know about, like, Lovecraft stuff? A bit. Okay, well, um, it's essentially that a popular RPG is a horror one, and it's actually in a Lovecraftian setting, so typically mm -hmm. it'll happen in the 1920s, it'll have the cosmic horror going on, and that's exactly what we were getting involved with. That The only people I knew that were involved in this one were... The wizard here and um, the blonde one was there as well. But she was actually playing against type in this one a little bit. She was a debutante. Mm. Yeah, actually, that was the one of the first times she actually did sort of play against type on that one. Um, other, She did like oh, to monger she? some gossip, though. Um, 
other than the us, the other people were our um, game master at the time, who is the wife of a um, former DM of mine, who I played a lot of like third edition D and D with, and she's real sweet. Yeah. She's just like not and then, cut out for I think this. The other person was her mm. cousin, who I don't know that she had a lot of experience with role playing in general, from what I remember. Um, but yeah, what sort of made this a shit show is just it was the most railroaded like story I think we'd ever experienced in a role-playing game. And to sort of elaborate on that more, railroading is basically when you put someone on like a single track, like you want to get them from point A to point B rather than having them explore stuff or really experience the world you put them in. It's literally just, I want to move this, I have a story in mind, I want to get it like moving along, so I need to get you from here to here to here. Which... So maybe Instead of a being less a about... game, it's more like a Disneyland ride or something. Which, it's not always oh, a bad thing when it. you want to tell a specific story, I guess, and like move along from point to point. But when you basically just sit there and like slap your players in the face like, no, you're doing this wrong, do this instead. Like, that, it lessens the experience, and like, no one wants to play that. But... It does include, like, she actually blatantly lied to us on a couple occasions. Yeah, she had like a really crappy self-insert character in that one, which um, would lie to our characters or just be like oh super like standoffish and basically just kind of a total asshole the entire time. So when your only real source of information was a complete dick the entire time, you're like, I have less interest in talking to you and doing what you want me to do, and instead I'm just going to do my own thing over here. She was playing like an anime character pretty much in this. This is a pretty weeby ass character. Um, I forgot. And see, I was playing like a a gumshoe on that one. I thought you were a reporter. No, I was a reporter. I mean, so you're right. Um, I'm trying to think, that was the one where you were. A, were you a gypsy in that one? Um, that yeah, she was a huckster. But I yeah, don't think. Okay. Um, what is a huckster? Gypsy's the right term. She was just like a con artist. Maybe that's that a better way to put what it. she would do was that she was um a fortune teller. With no actual mystical prowess. Oh. <laughs> just fast-talking people out of their money. As I nice. recall, at one point, you tried stealing a car once we actually encountered, like, an, um, like a zombie or something. I didn't had, like, try gone... stealing a car. I did steal a car. <laughs> <laughs> we had gotten caught in an alleyway, and, like, I think I was one of two people that had an actual honest-to-God weapon at the time. And, um... I was no, trying it was, to... um, her husband had one, and that this was a combat encounter where, at the top of it, she literally told us that traditional weapons will not work in this situation. Uh, we were yes. We were thrown into a combat situation with this eldritch abomination and told that you can't shoot it, figure it out. So, naturally, what I did was I had my character run off, she hotwires a car, and is going <laughs> to run it down, and by the time I get that done, it has already been shot to death. What? Yeah. Just blatant lying. Yeah. it. That's just one of those scenarios where, again, like a bad DM can kind of ruin the overall experience, because... That whole setting is really interesting, just for the game types. I mean, I, I enjoy some Lovecraft, and I really like... Yeah, the, no, that's a a fun setting. It's cool. Yeah, it's just a matter of, in that case, I don't know, I don't know if it's just a lack of DMing experience on her part, or just maybe she wasn't as committed or something, but it, it just made the whole experience kind of sour for all of us. Like, another one I had done, um, I had mentioned before, I did a Shadowrun one with the blonde one and a few other friends at one point. Um, 
the DM for that one was also super new, and she didn't really know how to like let characters get balanced out. So at one point in that one, I was playing um, a cyborg character who basically like had the ability to like detach both of her hands and like basically two pistols could fly out of them. So I spent <laughs> most of my time like just shooting people up really hard, and like another friend of mine was playing. I think the class is called like Street Samurai, where basically it's just a character yeah. that parkours around and like uses swords or pipes and stuff like that to attack people. So he and I would just demolish any combat scenario that um, was thrown at us. And then everybody else would just kind of sit back and like talk or like basically figure out what they wanted to do with their character. It's like, um, I'm just going to stay at a distance and shoot him with this pistol. And then meanwhile, <laughs> we're doing like straight up, like again, anime almost style stuff. Like my character's jumping around doing like ghost in the shell style stuff. And the other guys like, leaping from place to place, like, hacking people down with a katana. So, again, it's a matter of, like, you can have a lot of fun with something, even if someone's, inexper- like, really inexperienced with controlling things. Mm. But it is sort of key that the the game master, like, has a good understanding of, like, what they're doing in terms of mechanics and also, like, being able to keep a story going in an interesting, like, way. Because I think what hurts a lot of campaigns with this, or what makes it harder for people to keep coming back, is if you start losing steam in your campaign. Um, and I've had that happen on Got multiple it. occasions. So it could be that you have like a really good hook early on, but maybe you just don't know how to keep the story going. It's like, like same, again, same thing like if you're writing a book, like you have a really strong opening, but your middle section is just really weak and doesn't really kind of have that same initial draw that like got your readers in initial, like in the first place. It's a matter of like always you have to keep the story and like everything your characters are doing interesting. So they'll want to keep coming back and doing more. We did still manage to have fun a little bit in that campaign. Because mm-hmm. um, the, remember the blonde one's character was a little antagonistic towards mine because that I was I was her brother's live-in girlfriend but <laughs> was literally just scamming him for everything he's worth. Mm. And it was pretty clear to literally anyone probably including him we figured out that we're, I was probably a beard. But um, oh. <laughs> anyway, that she was like getting particularly sassy towards us whenever we were interviewing someone in an insane asylum. So I just whipped out some fast talk towards the clerk and made them think that her character was just a little slightly off and got her committed briefly. Oh my god. Well, got her a checkup more accurately. I can actually top that one. Um, this same person. Like, bless her, she really is a sweet individual, but sometimes her naivete just, like, makes it kind of easy to do, like, I guess really funny things. So in another campaign, <laughs> um, this was a traditional D&D campaign we had. So at this point in the story, we had already been, like, fighting off some really strong bad guys, and we'd actually been, like, sort of fighting dinosaurs at this point, too. Like, we were in this giant sort of, like, plains area where T-Rexes were roaming around. Um, so we had killed the T-Rex... And we're trying to decide, so we have this dead T-Rex body. What if we reanimate the corpse and use it as a means of transportation? So the thing we had to do, though, was actually reanimate the corpse. And none of us had the ability to do it outside of the cleric. So the problem was, though, the blonde one's cleric character, if she did this, would have been like this horrible act, which would have gone against everything that her god stood for. (laughs) So we tricked (laughs) her into doing it. Um... So she basically did this whole horrible blasphemous act so we could just get this sweet T-Rex uh, skeleton ride, which we, like, basically made a small shack in the ribcage of and rode around like it was a car. 
but in the process she lost like all of her character abilities (laughs) that is way worse than just being kind of petty (laughs) she lost like is he like ruined her character Uh, she had to like repent and stuff basically or like go to a temple and like like sometimes they get really particular like that's why if you play characters like for example paladins or clerics that have like specific allegiances to gods or like oaths they have to upkeep if you don't maintain those or like keep them really terrible things could happen so like a paladin who like breaks you know a major oath or something basically lose all can lose all of his paladin abilities and have to mm. redeem himself to get them back or like their if, powers like, come from their religion yeah same thing for clerics like their their powers are like divine so like their their connection to their god is what gives them all of their abilities so there is something blasphemous in that god's eyes they lose the ability to like you know heal or do anything like that so they become basically, yeah, more or less functionally worthless as far as like what their core abilities are supposed to be. Got it. And that's a is that a fairly common formula? Um, it sort of depends. Like, usually you only get a handful of characters that sort of rely on um a connection to like a higher power, at least within like the base classes. Like paladin and cleric, I think are the main two that sort of rely on that. Um, some bards can do that depending on like how specific some of their abilities get. But then you get like warlocks do, but they're they're getting involved with something that's a little more morally loose. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes like it's, demons. Sometimes or it's not even yeah, like keeping a pact with a god. It's like I need to ensure that this demon I've made a pact with is happy, otherwise he will basically rip my soul out. So it you can get some interesting sort of complicated things even outside of just the interactions you have with other players. Sometimes it's like the actual um, aspects of your character you have to consider the interactions with. Like so how do I go about doing this in a way that won't piss my god off? Or how do I do something to make sure the demon that I'm in a contract with will be happy with like what I'm doing? And that creates character conflict sometimes too. So you might have a scenario where you have like a really typical, like good aligned character, like their whole shtick is like, I will uphold justice and I will make sure like every wrong is righted and everyone is all nice and happy. And then you might have a character mm-hmm. who's like a completely evil shitbag who just wants to murder people. So when it comes to a setting like where you have to decide on like maybe you've invaded like an enemy base and you've come across like their leader and you're deciding what to do with him. So the good character might be like, let's interrogate him and bring him to justice by like bringing him back to, you know, maybe the local jail or something. Whereas the evil person might be like, let's murder the son of a bitch right here. So that can also be another moment where you have to like get two characters like with conflicting ideals like butting heads trying to figure out you know what works best and then the other party can intervene here and there like that too and sometimes dms will get creative and like in the time where they're arguing they may let like the person they're arguing about escape or the person may do something else like it's an interesting way to again kind of build up characters in ways you wouldn't expect and it sounds like it can be cool and dramatic but oftentimes it just ends up causing problems and getting petty so it's a good idea to avoid having a party created that'll just not like each other yeah yeah i had actually because it okay just like imagine you're reading a story where just at every turn the characters have to stop and argue about something it (laughs) often turns into that so it's a good idea to have a party created with similar ideals Okay, so does that boil down to the people that you are actually inviting to play, or is that more of the characters that they play? It could be a mix of both. Um, sometimes okay. people will have like specific, again, archetypes I want to fall into playing. Um, 
some people are like more at home playing like morally aligned characters because they don't want to be evil. I'm one of those people. <laughs> Sometimes people just want to play mm. evil characters for the sake of just being, you know, an evil sack of crap where they could just like murder people or just do terrible stuff to people. But it also can depend on the setting. Like you could have some scenarios where like your characters may have been like all, you know, heroes and you're all working together for a common cause, or you could just be all villains and your whole thing is you're going through a countryside ransacking villages and, you know, burning them down, stealing gold, whatever you want to do. Um, Again, it could just be a thorough mix of both, like depending on how your players want to go about approaching a scenario or like how your world is set up too. Evil doesn't um, tend to be too it. interesting though, because nothing is really there to stop them from just turning on each other the moment that they have something to gain from it. It's kind of harder to justify keeping a group of evil people together. Got it. And That's why I sort of like playing the, the middle of the road and like mixing them somewhat. Because like, well, you do have like an alignment chart which like goes across different levels of good and evil. It's never like completely straightforward. Like it's always, there's some gray areas in between all of them. And it's never like you're going to have, you know, snidely whiplash over here, twirling his mustache, like tying people to train tracks. And then having, you know, King Arthur over in the corner trying to unite the people of Britannia or whatever. Like you rarely do you ever have like the two opposite extremes there or whatever. Um makes sense. But occasionally you can put like characters that have some conflicting moral statuses against one another. So like one campaign setting I did was a um it was a mix of like high fantasy and horror where uh I had actually set up a centralized city that was broken down into three districts, each run by a specific faction. And I had all of my players working within specific factions. So I think I had like a group of nine or so people. And um, I had like four, three, like three, three or four people per each faction. So those factions might have some common goals. Like they may all want to go to a specific area and like solve a particular problem. Like they go to the agricultural district and realize that something is attacking some of the local farmhands there. Or something is also attacking like the crops and like they're finding weird things out in the fields. But they may have their own subs goals in there. So like maybe one group for the pursuit of science wants to like find actual samples of the, the weird things they're finding out there and bring them back. Well, another one might want to be like, we want to make sure this area remains pure of any kind of um, unnatural substance. So we need to destroy it. So it could be a matter of like how some person might want to like, it, again, it's, it's putting those conflicting ideals against one another to see how like the two groups will work against one another. I think that sort of makes some interesting dynamics and like it can make your players like resort to interesting things. Like some people will be more sneaky about it. Some people will actually reconsider their options and like rethink like, have I chosen a faction that I think I really want to align with or should I consider other options instead? Or it can make people straight up lie and be like, yeah, I totally destroyed that. And they just stuffed it like in their bag or something instead. And they'll give it to their faction leader later on. I liked that aspect of like kind of pitting different mentalities against one another. I thought that was kind of a fun way to do it. That is interesting. So you guys talked about, have you guys ever had like disputes within the, the players, not the characters? Occasionally you'll get people who will get sort of like picky or like annoyed at other people, depending on their actions. It's pretty rare that it ever happens. Like, at least for me, I don't think I've ever played with a group where like people just get really pissy with one another. Um, yeah. The only time we ever sort of had that happen is when people just don't really I guess, care about actually playing. It's like, we've had instances where people just sort of there to be there for the sake of like being with friends, which I get, you know, I, I obviously want to spend time with friends and do fun stuff with them, but it becomes problematic when that person really does nothing or puts no effort forth. Like 
in the um, the actual game itself. So like we've had people come in and like they'll make characters, but they won't really bother to learn the rules. So they'll have to like always ask everybody else to help them. And then like you know when you first start, that's understandable. You're getting used to the game, but like if it's a scenario like where you played several games, you got used to the rules, but you just sort of like half-ass everything, it sort of like brings everybody else down because like everyone else gets really invested. Yeah. You have this one person who's just like again, in the back doing like really basic stuff rather than like utilizing their character in interesting or fun ways. Or when it comes to the role playing, they'll just be like, I agree with this person rather than actually like, you know, saying out their own thoughts or like really giving a more interesting bit of input. So again, it is rare and it's never like, I've never had a scenario like where someone just like straight up punches another person for like, <laughs> you know, their choices in game. But it, the worst is like, I've usually ever experienced is just someone again, sort of just not really being into the process and just half-assing everything and kind of making it dull for everybody else or just not pulling their own weight in a group, as it were, I guess. Because mm -hmm. it is a collaborative effort. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, when you when you work as a team, like, you want everyone to actually work together as a team. Like, you're all doing this together. But when one person, again, just sort of sits off at the side and doesn't really participate, as it were... Twiddles on their phone. Weight. Yeah, that's another thing that always bugs me, and I've actually made a rule for this for any campaign I run. We have issues where people will just sit there on their phones and not pay attention. And like when it comes to like their turn in a comment, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. But they'll do that constantly. So I do have a rule like where I have a shoebox or just a box or something, and I make everyone put their cell phone inside the box before we start playing. Yeah, that makes sense. Because my, <laughs> my whole thing is that like if I, as a a GM have like spent all this time to craft a world that like for players to experience, like I want them to actually experience it, like have fun with it. Don't get distracted by like a cell phone or like checking your email or messages and stuff. Like, you know, get involved, like talk with the players here in front of you, like socialize that way. You can always come back to the phone later and like do whatever, but it's, if it becomes a distraction, like it takes away from the experience of other people too, which I think is unfair to like other players when you have someone sitting there like goofing off on their phone the entire time when like we're like in the heat of combat or something or like in an interesting role play scenario and like that person is on the phone gets asked a question like you know what do you think about this and like i'm again they'll just be like can you repeat all that i'm like no so you're gonna have to you like i'll actually make people play in character the entire time rather than i guess asking like let me actually back up for a second for the whole concept of in character versus out of character so out of character would just be like general discussion, like what we're having now, where you're talking about like the mechanics or like the scenario you're in. In character would be like where what you're saying is actually what the character themselves is saying. Um, so some DMs like to take it with more of that approach where like you don't have like sort of this whole metagaming aspect where you talk about the game itself while you're playing it. You actually have to be in the mindset of the game while you're playing it. And like you are actually role playing out that character, not being like you as a player playing a character. If that sort of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So, like, I, I like doing more of that approach because, again, I think it gets people more involved in it and it gets the, the role-playing aspect a lot more kind of, like, heated up and, it like, it gets people, like, really getting involved with their characters more rather than just being a character, like, a person as a player moving, like, a chess piece along a board or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that completely makes sense. And I think this brings us to kind of an, another question that I have that you guys briefly touched on, and that was kind of people who aren't really cut out for Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe not somebody who is like purposefully half-assing it, but have you ever run into somebody who just doesn't quite have like the creative chops or something? I will like say that? I don't think I've ever come across someone who I didn't think was capable of playing. I think and, like literally anyone can play this game. I don't feel like there's a a barrier, so to speak, about like people not being able to be creative because like people honestly who 
you wouldn't think would be that creative come up with interesting stuff every now and then when they're sort of put on the spot mm-hmm. right if they're just given sort of like a template to work with they can do some fun stuff with it but i don't i don't think any game i've ever played has just been like a scenario where someone playing has just been like so bad because they don't understand i guess the mechanics are like they're bad at role playing it's usually just because they don't like invest the time to sort of learn stuff and like admittedly there's a bit of a learning curve especially if you play like certain kinds of classes like as medusa mentioned earlier like fighters can be a little easier to play because like their whole shtick usually is just beating stuff up with weapons or their fists so like they're kind of a a decent one to start with because they're not like very mechanically heavy whereas something like a wizard takes a bit more time to learn because you have to learn like a whole bunch of different spells remember what they do remember the kind of like die rolls you have to make for damage um and like factor in a whole bunch of other stuff like they're mechanically a bit more intense and not always the best way to start like learning the game I think there is a way to not be cut out for running a game, though, and it's just by virtue of not really being considerate of the players and more just trying to create a masturbatory experience in a way. Yes, I can totally agree with that. Mm. If you're the type of person that's going to do that, you probably aren't the type of person that needs to be running a game. Because the thing is... So, yeah, I can definitely see more of a barrier for being a dm or gm as opposed to yeah and like i think anyone could be a player like there's no issue there like the the way any of these whether it's like normal D &D or gamma world or Shadowrun, like whatever it is the actual barrier for entry like it's it's basically just once you learn how the mechanics work and if you take a little time to invest in like learning those and kind of like teaching yourself some stuff anyone can do this that's just how simple it is and they've only made it simpler with time too like there's sort of, I guess, that stereotype that people think of with D&D where it's like a bunch of nerds huddled around a table with like calculators, like rolling dice and like figure, basically doing like math to have fun. Um, which, <laughs> in a certain extent, is sort of how some of the older ones were, but like it's been streamlined to a way now where like literally anyone can play this. Like it's just that simple. Like even if you're terrible at math, it, it's all basic enough where it's like simple enough to do and it can be a lot of fun. Um, if you know how stories work and you know what heroes are, Essentially, you know how to play a character. Pretty much. You try to Fair make enough. the type of hero that you like to be. Or yeah. you think might be interesting. Yeah. 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 And I, li- I love how this whole episode has really turned into you guys explaining D&D to me. Um, there have been some great stories in here, too. But to kind of not get too much caught up in the mechanics, uh, do you guys have any other stories about like particular characters or... Anything specific like that that you want to share in addition to the previous, like, the tall one and Blondie that we've talked about? Let's see. Because um, hmm. I know you guys haven't played too much together, Yeah, we've only right? really played, like, what, two campaigns together, I guess? We've talked about both of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think this would be more... Medusa, how much have you played? Not very much. Um, I've interacted with some of it online as well, but... um. That was in like a more specialized setting because it was a Warhammer thing. Got it. So, um, go ahead. Forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the wizard. So I can think of a few interesting ones. Um, one that I thought was kind of fun. One thing we discovered um, in playing with a DM I'd been playing with for a while with a group of friends. Um, we came across a chart which is this thing called the Critical Miss chart, and. Um, there's a couple of different variations. It's basically, for a lot of actions in D&D, you'll roll a dice to determine like how well that action turns out. Um, the most common dice you'll roll for a lot of these are, are like D20s, which are just the 20-sided dice. So um, 
you have two major extremes. You can roll like mm-hmm. a one, which is considered a critical failure, or a twenty, which is usually considered a critical hit. So sometimes DMs like to get creative with the way critical failures will work. So if you roll a one on something, it may result in something like really terrible happening to your character. Um, so in one scenario, um, we were playing characters that had um, been enhanced by this uh, spell, which anything that would have mortally wounded them would instead actually just cause like a horrible, like transformative property, depending on what we rolled on a specific chart. So like sometimes it could end up being a boon if you rolled a higher number and actually get something really cool. Like you got the ability to fly or you got psychic powers. Alternatively, it could be, or if you rolled a one, you would like get some horrendous growth on your face or you'd get like a tentacle sprouting out of your belly button or just like something really weird that was completely useless. Um, I had gotten in a scenario with this where I had fallen <laughs> down like a large shaft with a, an enemy character and pinned them. Um, and I had not thought this through as well as I should have. And I told the caster just to keep like basically spamming the enemy until it would have killed him. And he did that. But in the process, I didn't realize that I was not going to be able to like try to dodge any of the spells he was casting. So I got repeatedly hit by multiple fireballs or like other really strong spells <laughs> And I kept rolling very poorly. So by the end of that whole scenario, I came out of that shaft. Um, my gender had changed. I had grown multiple sets of horns. I had grown wings, several tails, um, a couple of extra limbs. I had produced, my body surface like a horrendous odor. And I started speaking like random languages that nobody else could understand. So so you became a deviant art fetish furry? Yeah, it's not a bad way to put it, actually. <laughs> It's basically what my character ended up as at the end of that scenario. Um, sometimes you'll start playing a D&D game. It'll get really oh, late at gosh. night and you're getting tired. And you'll say something in character that you didn't mean to say. So one of my greatest fumbles I've ever made was uh, in a conversation we were having with a, a major NPC at the time. Um, this guy was like not too happy with us. And at any point he could have turned on us. So... I was thinking in my head, like, okay, so if this ends up going poorly, I may need to know, like, what this guy's overall challenge rating is and, like, what we're going to need to do to fight him. Um, And when it came my turn to talk, I meant to, like, ask something, like, to the effect of, um, so how would you like to proceed here? What actually came out was, what is your challenge rating? (laughs) So (laughs) I literally asked a very out-of-character question. Which just pissed the guy off, like pissed the character off. And then our DM's like, the guy has gone immediately from neutral to angry, or from neutral to hostile. So I'm like, well, I have really botched that one up. And that it ended up like basically that one screw up cost us like that entire conversation. <laughs> and we ended up having to fight the guy afterwards. Um, and sometimes even like funny slip ups like that can lead to just fun recurring stories. Like that's one of those that some of my friends will not let me live down now. Yeah, I've definitely heard it. I didn't oh. know the exact source, though. Yeah, that'd been one of those like where it had been super late at night, and, like we were all getting very tired, and like I was half awake and again said what I was thinking out loud. I was like, "Oh boy," I instantly regret that. <laughs> what would you say is your worst oh, character you've ever created? <laughs> oh gosh, um, I probably created some pretty bad ones. What's the worst one? Love this. This is a great one. This is like real life Monster Factory. Oh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think back. 
Because that you did say that you were playing as a teenager, and I imagine there were some particularly weebish tendencies at the time. I'm trying to think of this one that I just like straight up copied like a DBZ style character or anything. Um, I guess one I had done at a time, I had styled that for like a Death Merchant style character, just so, like he wielded a scythe and was like not really like super gothic, but like I tried to make him a little edgy. Um, I don't know, like he, he he was the kind of character like I made him. Seemed like he was super intelligent and, like, better than other people. And, like, that he always knew more than everybody else, but, like, was also just really good in combat. But, like, it, the more I think about that character, it's like, God, that character was awful. I, I like, I relied on a lot of really shitty tropes to make him. Um, you said he's not gothic, but he did use a scythe, which is just not practical and completely goth. Hey, hey, I will have you know that in D&D, scythes are amazing weapons. They're one of the few things to get a four times critical hit ratio. Don't you don't you knock sides? I don't know what you just said. <laughs> it's a farm tool. Yeah, but it's a really big farm tool that could put deep gashes into people. You could do a lot of damage with those things, man. Yeah, what if you played like a farmer and he carried around like a literal hoe? <laughs> and he was just such a talented farmer that you counted him as a druid. So like anytime <laughs> some like dumb fantasy shit was happening, you'd just be like I don't know about that. I think this is probably going to be Morgan's next character. <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> but for the record, you make that joke all the time. I'm a simple farmer. That is me. I do think one of my favorite characters I ever made, though, was um, I had made this Dwarven uh, Inquisitor character. So he's basically like this short little guy who um, was really pious and religious and was kind of like a walking version of the Spanish Inquisition. And he had a real thing where he hated the drow, which are these um, elves that have like very dark skin and live underground. They're typically also pretty evil. Um, Don't they worship a spider lady? Yes, they do worship Loth, the spider queen. Uh, <laughs> I was, honestly, I'm surprised you've never made a drow character, considering they like spooky-ass shit. It's, uh, it's just, it's really boring and lame to go in that direction I feel. It's also probably because like I mentioned before with my one other friend like that character archetype gets done a lot where they play like an evil, like a character that's traditionally pretty evil but like they've redeemed themselves much in the same way like um, is it Jurits Durden from R.A. Salvatore I, I forget the name, I can't remember the name of the damn series now but like basically everyone makes, like if they play a drought they basically play some like carbon copy of that character from that book um Veeps knows this archetype. Pretty much everybody wants to be a Spike. What? Everybody wants to be like Spike, where they're like a monstrous, typically evil type of character that turns over a new leaf. Everybody wants to replicate that type of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Yep. Dude, I, I ship Spike so hard, though. Like It's, I, it's a pretty common Spike. sentiment, so a lot of people, they're yeah. like, oh, I get to be a hero? I want to do this, and... As a result, it's real tired and real bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understandable. So yeah. Uh. So worst character ever. What? You talked about your favorite character. Then. Oh yeah. Sorry, I was bringing up the the Dorman Inquisitor character. So I don't know why I liked this guy so much, but um, I just really got into playing this character because like there were moments where I'd get really into the role playing aspect and like I would, I'd actually start getting like not. I wouldn't shout, but like I'd get louder and like I'd start like really sort of like affecting the accent of what I thought the character would sound like. 
and just I had a lot of fun playing him for all the abilities he had. Like my DM thought he was being super clever at one point by um we were in like the, the one common setting is this place called the Underdark, which is basically not hell exactly, but like it's an underground world that's like full of terrible, horrible monsters and stuff. Um and one thing he had tried doing was setting up an ambush where he had um a bunch of these drow warriors come in and try to cast a spell that would basically um, cover a significant area in like a dark shadow kind of fog thing, which would have made them harder to see and therefore harder to hit. They could have just basically stayed inside of that area and like picked us off from a distance. However, what I ended up doing with my character was I had an ability called Daylight, which like for a huge radius, which was big enough for the room we're in, casts a very bright light like the sun. So not only did I just manage to completely get rid of the um, the whole like cover of darkness thing they had going on, but I also blinded all of them. <laughs> So it then became a matter of like my character in like a religious fervor, like running around, like taking an axe to people while another um, person in my party was like flying around, like with a, a Holy Avenger sword, like hacking people down. It was just fun stuff like that. Um, <laughs> like it's, it just got kind of overdramatic in a fun way. And uh, even yeah. when we were fighting, like basically the campaign, big bad, who was another like drow character. And again, my characters really, really hated the drow for whatever reason. Um, I like I think I'd come up with like a whole backstory like where like the drow had murdered um someone like really close to him, and like this guy was talking up like a, a basically talking himself like like there's no way you could possibly beat me I'm like this amazing general and I've got like there's just no way I'm awesome basically he's like you know the stereotypical bad guy who thinks he's better than everybody else, and then we just proceed to wreck his shit like he's riding on this giant spider that can like hop in between dimensions, so like basically he's just, on a spider, like, he'll poof, and then poof in another spot, like, a few seconds later. Um, but, like, we... At one point, like, my character basically, like, did a full swing and, like, cut all the spider's legs off in, like, one go. The guy got dismounted, and then, like, I just proceeded to, like, headbutt the guy and, like, punch him in the face while he was on the ground before, like, um, ending him with an axe and, like, insulting his god at the same time. <laughs> Has there ever been a character that just completely surprised you, good or bad? Just you weren't, like, expecting them to be as them as they were? As far as, like, a character I've created? Um, doesn't necessarily have to be yours. Let's see. Um. Hmm. I think one of my favorite characters that, um, a friend of mine's ever created is, uh, my friend who we'll call Dude for this. Um. And <laughs> so we've got... The tall one, Blondie, and Dude. Um, so Dude has this character called Kelric, who he has used in multiple scenarios, and he's almost always just sort of like um, like a barbarian or warrior-style character. And his sole goal every time he ever plays this character is to like do the most absolutely insane things he could do to get this character killed. And every <laughs> time he has ever played this character... He has never actually been brutally murdered from any of the really stupid shit he does. But the kind of attitude and like the this almost like happy-go-lucky nature this character has, despite basically wanting to throw himself into danger that will kill him, was very like I guess it felt very much reflective of like the um the way Dude like played a lot of characters. Which is really surprising how much he got into the role of like how fun that character was to be around. Like, he was never surly or, like, annoying. It wasn't like the whole emo, like, I just want to die because my life is pain. It's like, that sort of looks like... Sounds kind of like a Mr. Bean situation. 
Yeah, kind of. It was just basically a scenario where it's like, that looks like it could be really dangerous. I'm going to jump in there and just, like, see how will I survive this. Oh, oh, so the character itself, like I, they were more about trying to die. It wasn't just, like, he was this happy-go-lucky, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a good day today, and then he falls in a hole and explodes or anything. No, it wasn't, like, where he accidentally got that. Like, the dude literally okay. would just, like, throw himself into seemingly impossible situations. Um in a Gamma World scenario, for example, like they were exploring an old spaceship, and they came across a room that was just like full of these like horrific like um, flesh-eating termite things. And uh, rather than play it smart and like run out of the room, he literally like jumped in headfirst, like wielding a giant like bastard sword, and like started chopping away at them. And amazingly, through a series of really good rolls, didn't die like he, you know, theoretically should have in that scenario. He just came out like, well, that that was fun. <laughs> But again, like it's just the, it was just the fact that character, despite doing everything within his power to do stuff that would have just killed any other person, and always coming out on top, like living and being a badass at the end of it, was just really endearing for that character. Conversely, one other character he played that was not Kelric um, was this lizard folk monk in a campaign I had done. I know this. Yeah, you know this story. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I brought this up earlier, like in the campaign I had created. One of the first missions they had to go on was um, they had uh, investigated an issue that was happening in the agricultural district. They eventually ended up going through a series of storage cellars to find a bunch of like rat creatures that were down there. Um, they looked like normal, like pretty large rats at first, but uh, they soon found out after attacking them, like making it seem like they were going to be hostile to them, these rats would mutate into these like horrific, like dog-sized creatures with like multiple mandibles and just a bunch of like horrific disease all over them and uh so we get to a point where he finds one of like dude's character finds one of these rats just sitting in the barrel and tries to punch it and misses so he tries punching it again and misses yet again so i'm like the rat in its own strange way seems like he's laughing at you and he's like oh fuck you and then finally just punches it and basically Hits the rats are hard. It, the whole thing just it's gore bits everywhere. However, uh, what the rest of the party had failed to do is when they were exploring this area, they had opened a lot of doors and not closed them afterwards, or they just blown the doors apart. But the way I had set the whole dungeon up is if uh, there were rats strategically placed in different locations, where if they saw another rat being attacked, or they again saw so anything that would be a sign of hostility, it would cause them to freak out and mutate. So once he punched that rat into a bunch of tiny little rat gravy bits, every other rat within like <laughs> every room that was visible, which is like a good five or six rooms, started chain transforming and rushing to that spot to the point where about 30 rats all rushed his character and began to eat him alive before he could be drug out and saved. So his oh, his inability just to like like let a rat go and because it was laughing at him cost his character which he had put a lot of time and effort into but just died there in the very first session of the campaign <laughs> one of the first times i hung out with dude he told me that exact story he remembers it so well that's awesome i love how like you create even though it's a game you kind of walk in and it really kind of evolves and it takes on its own life so to speak because you have so many other people kind of inputting it in, well, inputting creativity into it. So it, it really, like, it just seems like it evolves, kind of, and it becomes its own. That That is sort of the beauty of it, really, is, like, you can go in with, like, a set goal in mind, but, like, 
as you start seeing how characters or like your players start doing things or how they interact with them, you start coming with ideas and like they help you shape the story that like you're playing through basically it may not end up being the initial vision you had but it becomes this again fantastic collaborative effort where like, everyone's like ideas and some of like the way they play will all factor into just how that story plays out it becomes like a great group effort kind of thing which i think is what makes it so endearing to me is like it becomes a lot of fun because everyone gets really involved with it everyone plays a part in like shaping how that story gets told would you and say that that is the most anticlimactic death you've seen in a game oh where he got surrounded by rats and eaten alive um yeah like instantly <laughs> in that same campaign uh blonde once sent her dog in to try to help and it got brutally murdered within five seconds running into the horde of rats um let's see most anticlimactic death um because i mean that that was kind of like the first episode of a tv show you introduce all the main characters and one of them just fucking bites it immediately <laughs> I like, would say oh, that was this kind of show. That made it have been the most <laughs> yeah. anticlimactic one I ever had, but like there was one boss character I had to fight in a campaign that another friend of mine ran not too long ago. Um the whole scenario for that one is like basically we had to fight these three almost godlike entities and all like the legends and lore built up around this one particular one made her sound like an absolute badass and she was just going to wreck our shit. Um my character basically proceeded to like unload about like 20 crossbow bolts into her while another character like managed to blind her and she died within like two turns. So this amazing godlike entity, which had been built up like this entire campaign, like she was basically like the boss right before the final boss got wasted in like no time flat. <laughs> Our DM at the time was super disappointed. Like all this work he put into like making this really elaborate character, who'd given, like, a lot of time and, like, backstory to and, like, made her sound really fearsome, got completely destroyed by um, the players in, like, two turns with, like, minimal effort. <laughs> in a similar scenario, um, in one of Dude's campaigns, uh, he had set up this whole city, which was, like, an old set of ruins which had been overrun by a bunch of spiders who had, like, created a bunch of interconnected webs throughout the city. So he's, like, his whole goal was to make us, like, go through this city very carefully and very sneakily to find a specific artifact that was hidden somewhere. So... I ended up, uh, like, when we were trying to inquire about the artifact, I asked a few specific questions. Like, so how big is this artifact? He's like, it's probably small enough to fit in the size of your hand. Like, how much does it weigh, roughly, would you say? Um, it's like, less than a pound. Like, okay. So my solution, rather than, like, sneaking through the entire area, which he had, like, it took him, like, a, two days to get this whole place laid out. I had my wizard cast fly on himself. So he flew up in the air and started flying around like the ruins and using um, detect magic to find a the specific magical artifact. And then once I found it, I used the spell called Mage Hand, which basically lets you like lift something up if it weighs under a certain amount. So that entire thing, which was meant to take us two hours, I literally solved in like two minutes just by again flying up in the air, like searching, basically turning myself into a giant radar, and then like Mage Handing the thing to safety and then floating back down, avoiding all the traps that he had like precariously and meticulously placed down for us. <laughs> <laughs> there's something kind of really satisfying though whenever you see the heroes just do the thing they're supposed to do and do it well and just completely nail it you often don't see that in stories just because it's not necessarily interesting because mm. you do want your protagonist to experience some conflict but I think that's part of why it's just so fun to see them just fucking nail it. 
Yeah, because that's just it's very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. On, on both ends of that spectrum, it's really as it from a DM standpoint, it's fascinating to see when someone comes up with a creative or interesting solution. But alternatively, it's also really kind of disheartening when they come up with something like that. It took you hours to work on, but they solve it like in less than a minute. Um, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> or alternatively, you'll get stuff like where you put something there and they'll just think completely bonkers with it. Um, in the the campaign I had mentioned, earlier. oh, like something simple, but then they just like completely shit the bed. Yes, to give you a great example of that, in the um, the campaign I had mentioned earlier that I was running. So in that same agricultural district, um, before they had encountered anything with the rats, they had started in these like weird um, rocks that were just sitting around in parts of the field, which didn't look like anything anyone had ever seen before from like the the general like makeup of them. But they learned they reacted to sound, or that they were giving off a strange sound if you touched them. So people would start touching them and like they would start hearing this weird sound in their head. Some people gather like that's probably not good, so let's not do that. But for whatever reason, uh, they started like all pulling up musical instruments and like getting into like a song and dance routine around this rock. I'm like, what the hell are you, all of you doing? Like, you're literally having a, a rock concert right now, just around this giant ass slab of like space material <laughs> for no apparent reason. They just like, like, let's just play music to this rock and see how it reacts. <laughs> was it of any consequence? Or was it just sort of like set dressing, and they just got completely transfixed by this? It did have a purpose, but like the whole, th- it wasn't like where they had to interact with it. It was literally introduced a concept they were going to deal with later on. Because what I had created with the whole stone thing was uh, the longer someone touched it or held onto it directly, it would start driving them mad. And uh, it did have a fun reaction because one character kept one in her back pocket and she started slowly going crazy over the course of the campaign. Um, but yeah, no, it's just like they just see a random. Oh my god, so you like created this good bit of game design? Where you introduce the concept in, like, a safe space. Yeah. And then they just, like, w- veered off to the fucking left <laughs> and did something that has nothing to do with its purpose. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, I think you may have created a convert. I'm gonna have to try. Oh, Andy, like, wants me to run games, oh, but, but An- I, I don't have never that gonna get of- anything done. <laughs> Yeah, but also, like, I just don't have that kind of patience to create a setting and all this. Fair enough. So, yeah. Um, did you guys, which one was the shouter? The shouter story? Is that something that you guys talked oh, about? Oh, there are certain times, like, where you can get people who just get really involved in, like, playing a character and they'll start shouting. Um, <laughs> so, like, you may get really, like, I've never gotten to the point, like, where I've gotten so involved in a character I'm playing where like, I'm just, like, doing, like, really huge barbaric yells or anything. But um, I have I have had characters I go on like long grand soliloquies sometimes, um, but like I've had players before who will like get super into like maybe say like a barbarian character or like a warrior, and they'll get like in the whole like blood rage kind of thing going on, like start screaming like yeah, and like just and, like right as they swing their sword or whatever, like they'll they'll very descriptively describe the actions of what they're doing and like get into like the full character like where they're screaming and like shouting at the same time. That's sometimes it sometimes it goes overboard. To like the point where it's like creepy, but sometimes it's just like usually pretty comical. <laughs> when is the time that you've ever been creeped out by how much somebody has gotten into the game? Um, if someone plays an evil character and then they start like getting really like I guess creepy with the way they're going about doing something, it can be kind of weird. I've never gotten to a point I don't think so much maybe where someone's been like super creepy. I'm like, whoa, just dial it back a notch there, fella. 
I like I never got to a point like where someone's like playing a bad guy and then they go on this like whole monologue about like I don't know, um, flaying someone and like looking re- really happy while they're talking about it. Like that would be a moment where I'd be like, okay, you need to to the point where you'd like question whether or not you really want to I'm be like, friends with them. Yeah, I, I have some questions not about only your motives but about our friendship at this point. So we need to we need to talk <laughs> after this and reevaluate some things. <laughs> Also, that's kind of out of place, because I know y'all don't really do things to support evil characters, so it's, does that mean that somebody was coming out of, like, left field with I think this sort of thing? in that scenario, like, where I've had, well, I didn't actually have someone talk about, like, flaying someone, but, like, when I've had people try to play, like, evil characters when it's not common for them, they'll just, they'll be, like, really overly cartoonishly evil. Like, there have been times where Blonde One would try to play an evil character, and, like, again, it it got cartoonish. Oh, no. like bad. She's like threatened people or like threatened to cut off. Was she like trying to kick puppies or something? She would just like basically like to threaten to cut off like <laughs> limbs or like digits and stuff or like basically just sit there and like torture people. I'm like, whoa, whoa, back it up there a little bit. You seem like you're enjoying that idea a little too much. That's extra funny because it's just not something that you can really see coming out of her. No, not at all. It's like the exact opposite of who she is as a person. Like you would never like look to her and be like, she would just come up to me and try to, like, cut my fingers off just for fun. It's, like, the exact opposite of how she would work as a human being. But, like, in the game, she was, like, again, just cartoonishly, I was, like, if you don't give me the answers looking for her, I'm going to start cutting your fingers off one by one. Like, whoa. That's kind of awesome. That's one thing that's, like, kind of funny when it comes to interrogation and media. That, like... There's a definite line between heroic making the enemy talk and then, like, getting into it being a little iffy. And I think the line comes with specifics. (laughs) Because you never see a heroic character being like, yeah, I'm gonna cut your balls off. Oh, yeah, it's like, I'm gonna make you talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I've had characters, like, bluff before to, like, do really dastardly things. Like, in the campaign we did, um, Medusa, I had my rogue at one point threaten to, like, start stabbing a, a dagger between a guy's ribs if he didn't talk. But it was all, like, just a huge bluff, because I was taking advantage of the fact that my character had, like, a really, really high bluff stat. Yeah. <laughs> but I could, I had effectively convinced that person that, like, I was le- my character was legitimately gonna do that, but, like, again, I had no intention of actually, like, following through. Interesting. My character was kind of good at intimidation just by virtue of being a very large woman. Yes. <laughs> Who could pummel stuff with her fists. Wait, she so did, best. did Blonde One actually do that in the game, though? Oh, really? She started, like, cutting people's digits off and stuff? Yeah. No, we actually stopped her before and we're like, whoa, that's a, that's a little extreme. Just chill out. That's not going to solve anything. <laughs> Yeah, like, a lot of times you have, like, the one character who's, like, the moral compass of the group sometimes. Like, okay, just step back and reevaluate what you just said there. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like, being being brutally cruel to this man and, like, you know, severing limbs or fingers and what have you just will not get us what we're needing. <laughs> I don't think that ever really does solve many problems, if we're being honest here. Pretty rarely. Again, like, you can use it as an intimidation tactic, but actually going through with it, Oh, I've been in works. real life. Oh yeah, no, in real life, God no. Oh, I, on the contrary, I think it would be very effective depending on what your goals are. Is that how you recruit people with knives? Oh yeah, stab you right in the ribs if you don't accept this offer. <laughs> You're gonna take that's this a, job. That's a pretty convincing argument, really. I don't really want to get stabbed in the ribs, so I might take that job. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's not like it's a bad thing you're getting, so it's just that 
You get a positive and you don't get stabbed. Yeah, it's like, hey, let me pay you money to do things or I'm going to steal your toenails. (laughs) I'm going to let you pay me money to do things. I kind of want my toenails where they are. (laughs) A collection of toenails. Yes. Don't you know that necklace I always wear? It's toenails. Grody. Just a jar full of... (laughs) (laughs) That could be my character. Can I just be like a corporate Mongol recruiter? That would actually be really good in Shadowrun. Like, unironically, that would be a great yeah. and hilarious character concept. Because since it's like cyberpunk and yeah. that um, corporate culture is a big part of it, being like overly saccharine about doing horrible things because that's the corporate culture could create <laughs> a really amazing and fun character. Noted, noted. Especially because, like, groups of Shadowrun characters tend to be, like, degenerate, so it'd be a bunch of thugs and, like, you're in your pantsuit being like, great! (laughs) We care about you. (laughs) It's amazing. Almost back there's, like, a motivational speaker to, like, a bunch of hoodlums or, like, thieves and stuff. Yep. Like, overly clean-cut, overly, yeah, like, plastic. See, you just totally made a character. <laughs> Look at that, guys. It's just, it's that easy. <laughs> so we're going to end this episode with me making my own D&D character. I like it. So thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Beeps. I'm Medusa. And I'm the wizard, and you don't know me. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you love what you hear, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to check out our website. It's ydkmpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at ydkmpodcast. There's lots of opportunity for you guys to submit your own stories that we would love to incorporate into the shows. If you have any ideas about topics that you guys would like to hear, we would love to hear your feedback as well. Tweet at us comment on an Instagram photo, or just shoot us some feedback on our website. As usual, the music in this episode is from bensounds.com. That's B-E-N-S-O-U-N-D-S dot com.